people to the Don't Panic podcast. This is a podcast that takes you on a journey through the eyes of the creatives here in Scotland. Join me, Lucy, as I sit down with friends, family, creatives and industry professionals to discuss the complexity of being a creative person living right here in Scotland. From childhood to adulthood, career to personal passions and current events to mental health, we'll be diving deep into the ups and downs of being a Scottish creative with plenty of laughs and inspiration along the way. So sit back, relax, learn and relate as we explore all aspects of Scottish life, one conversation at a time. Hi Peter. Hello Lucy. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Good, good. So I have today on the Don't Panic podcast a family friend, one of my mum's nearest and dearest, Peter Scott. And we've got him on here because we have, I think, a lot to talk about. And I'm very excited about it. How are you? Are you feeling good about it? No, it'll be great. I yeah. think it'll be very interesting for, as much for me as it is for you about what comes out. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very I'm very excited. So so we start off, I'm gonna do a little introduction, which will explain a bit about your background so everybody knows. Um so Join us for a conversation with Peter Scott, a seasoned production manager and event specialist with a career that has spanned the globe. From his roots in Tully Buddy. And Tully Buddy. <laughs> Tully Buddy. Pete's journey has taken him on a remarkable path through the world of events, exhibitions and show-stopping productions. Peter's expertise has graced iconic events including COP26, Commonwealth Games, international tech exhibitions. And we will be taking a deep dive into Peter's career as well as his wild antics throughout his life as he travelled through Australia, Southeast Asia and India and managed one of Edinburgh's dodgiest clubs but had a laugh while doing so. Get ready to dive into the world of event management and learn from one of Scotland's finest. That's your intro. Wow. (laughs) Uh, How are you? Scotland's finest. Yeah, like Scotland's finest in your industry. I would say you've earned that. Aye. It's just such a um, big thing to say, but I guess you're right. Well, I'm allowed to say big things on my <laughs> podcast. I'll make the decisions. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so we start off the podcast with a life mantra or any sort of personal quotes or phrase that helps you get through the day. But you've just explained to me what you've got. So I'd love to hear a bit more about it. I don't really have one life mantra as such. I think I have various kind of things that I refer to. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get older, you know, you go through different experiences and then you, in a way, learn from those experiences and maybe can, they can become a wee mantra for you to move forward with. Yeah. Some are quite, some of them can be quite personal, some of them can be quite generic and some of them can be kind of cheeky. Yeah. So, uh, and after I got quite a few, I mean, I've got on the back of my toilet door, I started putting lots of wee, wee ones up and I started off with Casey because Casey at one point was something about my mental time at work. Not work, up, uh, yeah. um, at school, I should say. And Casey's your son, and just Casey's for my son, yeah. context. So we just kind of decided that, given that we've got a wee toilet door downstairs, I thought that's quite a good way when you're just sitting, you know, you can... Have a look. Ponder. <laughs> yeah. And the first one we started off with him was that a lion never loses sh- sleep over the opinions of a sheep. So who cares what people say, you know? Like, it's up yeah. to you, Casey, and you bash away with it. And, and there's quite a few of them, you know? There's like, um, truth is like poetry, and most people... 
hate poetry. So I, I kind of be bothered with people, especially at work, that try to lie to me and give me all of that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't take any of the stuff like that. And then there's <laughs> things like, and then there's ones that are kind of more important. That we're kind of like, we are who we protect, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of quite a big thing for me, especially when I see anyone being hard done by or kind of giving shit for something then I kind of find it quite hard to kind of stand back from that. I just kind of find it quite hard to kind of like watch kind of people being hard done by. Yeah, really. yeah. I just carry. Yeah. And there's, I think one of the things I think about quite a bit is, you know, what we do can like make a difference. And I kind of think we just need to decide what kind of difference that we're going to make. In the same way that, you know, you're on a bus and, you know, you see a, a woman standing on the bus or an older person, you get up and give them your seat. Yeah. They're all the kind of ways that we were kind of brought up. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of carry, and I've always kind of carried that, and I've always tried to look at the imbalance that kind of goes on. Mm-hmm. And to, if I see anyone, like, being picked on, or for whatever kind of reason, about whether it's their kind of their gender or that it's their race or where they kind of come from and stuff like that, I, I didn't want to, I can't really accept that. And then when yeah. I'm on a job... And I see people kind of giving any of that shit to people. Generally, Not they gonna. get told to stop. And if they didn't stop, then they generally get taken off the job. Well, that I think that's great. So I can. that's just the way that, I, you know, when you have yeah. a kind of core thing, so one of my kind of cores is, you know, you, we all need to look after each other mm-hmm. and support each other. And what's lovely here mm-hmm. is in this street, we've developed such a kind of wee community for the, with the street WhatsApp that everyone really looks after each other and looks to each other and That's supports nice. each other. And yeah. If you've got any kind of stuff you don't want, you kind of put it on the street WhatsApp. And if you see people needing stuff, and because I'm quite good at being DIY, mm-hmm. so often, I, you know, you go there and you can help them with their stuff in their shed. You have a cup of tea and a wee, you know, a wee blether or I've got a tool shed through every conceivable nut and bolt in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so people have kind of got that and we do it. And it's a really, and it's it's as better, it's a, it's as good an environment I would ever hope to live in mm-hmm. because a lot of us kind of share that same sense of, community living and looking after each other that's really nice is that something that came from covid or yeah. is that something that's always been around no it kind of came from covid it started off in a way that someone got burgled uh-huh. so we we she kind of shared it and then it built up a little bit and then and then because um everyone couldn't really mix and I kind of thought it'd be quite good if we all played a tune every day out, out, the, oh, that's fun. out the window. <laughs> yeah. So I set up a wee speaker and every day I'd play a wee tune. I'd play three tunes and everybody would kind of come down but we had to make sure they didn't get too close and yeah. just like that. And we'd have three tunes and everyone would all dance away a wee bit. <laughs> and then after three tunes, we'd just like stop. That's and, so nice. And then other people would kind of hear the bit how do you find out which one it is? So the WhatsApp got bigger and bigger. And mm-hmm. then through COVID, it was really valuable because if anyone was struggling or needing stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and then we could find out what it is and go and get it for them or bring stuff to their door. Or, yeah. And it just kind of grew and grew. And now it's a really big thing for the street. That's amazing. Because, I, I mean, I have heard quite a few people talk about how COVID really brought them together with their neighborhood mm-hmm. and neighbors and it, people were obviously wanting that communication and wanting that interaction mm. so it's really nice that because that was such a I don't know I feel like people normally avoid their neighbors and avoid getting to know people but that was a kind of positive that came out of COVID it did bring communities together definitely so and when nice. people join they can they can, you know they, they, they're really amazed eh, the welcome mm-hmm. that they can get or if someone in the street like recently passed away everyone shares the condolences yeah. about the person and yeah. what they can do to help and stuff like that so it's, it's great oh, brilliant. it's just a shame that, that you know 
and this can may sound a bit naive, but it's a shame that the wider world isn't a little bit more like that. Yeah, That's yeah, I know I what you mean. Aye. Yeah. Um, is there any more quotes there, or do you think we got through them? Well, I kind of think. Yeah, it was. I think it's really cool that you've got that on your toilet door. I think that's brilliant. Oh. <laughs> um, little reminders for you. Yeah, and you get funny ones like, you know, we've, we've got two ears and one mouth. Maybe we should listen more than we speak. Yeah. It's a work one for me. <laughs> yeah, you must have to use these at work all the time. A lot, <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, so we start off with, we take things back to um, childhood. Okay. And... Um, the first question is if you can tell me a little bit about your earlier years and um yeah what it was like for you growing up so it would be the 60s yeah yeah i grew up in a it's a, a very slight small mining village mm-hmm. almost like in the middle of nowhere yeah and there's lots of villages like dotted about but it's quite a small village to a certain extent it's a bit of a small village like mentality yeah. thing, you know uh-huh. you had to kind of do what everyone else did or you stuck it like a sore thumb so I worked in the coma so I kind of went to a Catholic school so my parents were Irish Catholic so I went to a Catholic school mm-hmm. so that in itself led to kind of quite a lot of kind of thing in a small village because Catholics were in the minority and, okay. and it's still quite a sectarian thing through there mm-hmm. so there was lots of things you had to kind of deal with about people giving you jip because you were a Catholic Wow, okay. Aye. Yeah. And because I wasn't very good at keeping my mouth shut, <laughs> I seemed to encourage that jip a wee bit more than it was necessary. To get yourself in trouble. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I went to a Catholic school in Alawa, jumped around. I mean, as a kid, um, uh, we used to, we could go up to the woods and you could go away up to the hills and you could do loads of kind of stuff. And yeah. You do all that, you just can do now. That, so that was quite an advantage about staying there, but... The disadvantage is a bit small mentality. Mm. So did you like growing up kind of in the the countryside almost, but then it had this like negative small-mindedness to it? Yeah, I liked yeah. it till I was about 14. And then once I had about 14, it became a bit like, I. Yeah. And I was always, I, because we were Irish, my family were Irish, we never really had any relatives or anything like that. There was yeah, no yeah. cousins or stuff. So I was quite keen as soon as I could to, you know, leave Right, so did you come to Edinburgh then? No, so what happened was, uh, it was a kind of bit of a connect to it, so, and also I, had a, I, just, I got a lot of jip from my dad, he was like very, like it was a bit, a bit kind of overpowering, so there was okay. like the Pope, there was the priest, there was him, and then we just did everything, and all three of them ever told us. Right. <laughs> and I wasn't very good at that. Really. Right, right. So I was always getting a wee bit kind of trouble, and then I went to the Catholic school, and then, and I don't know, I was just a bit, I don't know, there was a bit of me that was kind of, a bit frustrated with the environment I was in a wee bit as I kind of grew up. So I went to mm-hmm. Catholic school. That didn't work. I got expelled. And then I went to the Protestant school. And then there was loads of kind of dramas attached kind of got to the Protestant school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've always been a wee bit of a, you know, a bit of like, you know, if you're going to give me shit, then I'm not going to, even if it means getting a battering, I'd rather get a battering than actually, you know, get picked on or kind of get told that's your place and that's what's right, going to happen. Right, right, fair enough. That's, I think that's where it started for me about yeah. standing up for myself and other people. Yeah. And then as soon as I was old enough, I moved to Stirling, then I started working in the coal mines. So right. as soon as I could get out of Tullabody, I did. So was, was coal mining your first job? Yeah. Wow. What was that like? It was a bit hard. I know it was quite hard. Yeah, I can imagine. Was, I think it was it's quite hard, but also it was quite exciting because it was like going to a different planet. Right, yeah. Because you go down and you go underground and you're on the first day that you can go down and someone's taking you down and you get your little helmet on and your helmet 
Like the width of the light is as much as you see when you're down there. You switch your light off, you could punch yourself in the face and you wouldn't see your hand. <laughs> and then you're going down conveyor belts and you're getting all the industrial stuff and you're going down near the coal face and the first time we're near the coal face, all the machines were all moving, bumping up and down, the ground was like moving and, wow. you know, there was me and three guys and I was like a fucking rabbit in a headlight. How old were you? Uh, 17. Wow, yeah. I can't even imagine going underground and having to work and... And, and miles underground. Yeah, yeah. Like miles underground. You didn't feel claustrophobic or anything like that? No, it was, <laughs> it was just a bit about getting used to... Getting used to the environment and the noise and the people, but once you got used to it... Actually, I really liked... And there was loads of challenges, and I really liked the challenges. Mm-hmm. So that was quite good, but... Um, I was forever getting in a bit, getting a bit getting of trouble. trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's that kind of same sectarian thing, and I was, I just wasn't kind of really having it. So mm-hmm. there'd be loads of drama about that. Yeah, it sounds like you've always been kind of like a big fish in a small pond, like when you were younger. Like uh, you needed more. You needed uh, to get uh, out there and and give it rags. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'd, and I'd always <laughs> find ways that I would kind of find quite funny when I was like given when I was getting loads of shit. Like you know, there was like this guy that always gave me shit, so I put a dead mouse in his sandwich. <laughs> Oh no, that's awful! He took the sandwiches, so he saw the mouse hanging out, so he didn't eat it. Oh my so god! It wasn't that bad, but then I did. That was I got that. That was a uh, I got a doing for that, and then so the other guy came and shit, so I peed in his flask, you know. Oh so, my god! So that, they were the kind of things that I'd find uh, just like I can't be honest with this. So I'd just do some a bit mental, then it'd all come back to bite me. But, yeah, yeah. But that was just the kind of way it was, and then I started kind of got the clubs and different music places around the place and I kind of found a real like love for music yeah well I was gonna ask you obviously got into music was that something you'd been in from into from a young age or no. was something that you found as you got older I was kind of later on when I was yeah. young what I kind of found was that because we were you know we were a, a mining family we never really had a lot of money nobody did mm-hmm. so I kind of found a way of being resourceful to get my own money yeah so from really young age mm-hmm. I was always looking for ways that I could make money so that I could do what I wanted be independent yeah completely so mm-hmm. I'd be a milk boy I'd be a kind of paper boy I'd do various other things that were a little bit ropey and sometimes I'd get caught and sometimes <laughs> I wouldn't uh-huh. and that and I've always kind of been that way always having a really good eye about actually having money right yeah and making and and just actually try to be like really self-sufficient and independent and not be dependent on anybody. Yeah, yeah. And then when I got a bit older and then I started going to clubs, I used to go to clubs on my own because if you went, if you lived in one place and you went to another village and they were a different village and knew you came to Tullabuddy or wherever she went mm-hmm. and you got in trouble so folk wouldn't want to go. So I, used to, I just used to go to clubs on my own and go to different clubs. I'd mm-hmm. go to these all dares where you'd kind of go somewhere and you'd dance with two in the afternoon till midnight because you'd been... <laughs> You know, partying. partying. <laughs> and then I just took a real kind of liking to lots of different types of music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was really good. And I ended up in a wee flat in Stirling. So you liked Stirling? Uh, Stirling was quite good. So I ended up in a wee flat in Stirling, which was good. And then it all went to pot because the landlord wanted to sell the street. And I was the last person in the street that refused to move out. <laughs> and then he came down one time and tried to break the building down. We are. I fucking. Cherry, um, with, like a bulldozer, <laughs> and then he cut off with the water and he cut off the electricity. And what, you still refused to leave? I still refused to leave. <laughs> well, it got you out then? Because uh, uh, um, there was no, all the water froze. Ah, okay, so, that'll do it. And then I had to kind of go because I actually, I, 
I did pews into this kind of bin bag, so when he kind of came down to hassle me, I threw the bin bag at him, and the bin bag burst, it went all over him and his missus living like that, and then it got really serious, like they were putting a dead cat through my letterbox, and what? And, and these guys came down and tried to like break into the house and give me a doing and all that, and I just thought, you know what? That's stage left, I need to go. Yeah, sounds like it went a bit too far. Oh my goodness. So how long were you in Stirling for? I was in Stirling for about 18 months. I was in the mines for about a year, about four, not, no, four, five years, four year apprenticeship and then a year and a half after. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that we uh, wanted to go and I met. I knew two guys in Stirling that used to hang out with me, but they were going to go to Australia. And I thought, you know what, that's where I'm going to go. Because wow. I didn't have any boundaries. There was no family ties because yeah. my, my, my sister, two sisters had left. My one brother had left. The other brother was still there. I thought, I'll go. So off I went, I went to Australia. Wow. What part of Australia? I oh. in, was in Melbourne and Sydney mm-hmm. and uh, Adelaide and Darwin. and, and All everywhere. All, lots of places. All yeah. sorts of really like, you know, it's quite hard because nobody understood me. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, so I stopped. I got fed up repeating myself. Yeah, I bet. So I, I just, bet. I just like stopped, and so I met a woman that, that had lived in London, so she knew me really well. So that was quite good. And then try, I had a job doing encyclopedias, going round the doors. <laughs> Nobody understood me. What do you mean doing encyclopedias? So there used to be a thing then. This would be like seventy two, seventy three. You know, you'd get up encyclopedias. You'd be a door to door salesman. Right. Okay. So you're selling en- encyclopedias yes, to people. Uh, and nobody understood what you were no, saying. No. <laughs> so I'd go to their house and then they would kind of like keep nodding and I'd get the final bit and they'd say, no, we don't know. Or I'd meet people who were Scottish and you'd leave the house drunk or stoned. <laughs> so, and then I got a job in a shoe factory uh-huh. and I kept messing up the soles of the shoes and I kept getting in trouble. So I used to go home every night with all the soles of shoes that I'd knackered and sneak them out and then I put them all around the house and up the footsteps and stuff like that. <laughs> And this is all in Australia? Aye. And I worked in a naval dockyard. I worked in a casino. And, you know, I had all sorts of kind of really daft Yeah, jobs. must have met so many types of people. Really? Yeah. I was, I was a magnet for loonies. Yeah. <laughs> Best stories, though. No, it was good. So what was your favourite city or place in Australia? What was the... Melbourne, I Melbourne. Think. I'm Aye. going to Melbourne. Are you? In April. Next year. Melbourne was great. Yeah. Was, I really liked that. The, the, a weird thing about the, the I worked in this naval dockyard, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're down the coal mine, it's dusty, it's minging, it's dark, it's horrible. On the yeah. naval dockyard, I got a job where I was working on the decks of these, um, it was almost like barges. And if it got really windy mm-hmm. and there was dust, you could choose to keep working and get extra money or you could go to the canteen and do nothing. Oh, bye. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be sitting doing nothing I, quite I, happily. I, you know, extra money to work in the dust. And then if you were underneath an area where it was about, it was only about three feet high and there was still open on all sides, you got confined space money. Oh, wow. Extra money. So the guys are all saying, how can you work in these environments? I'm going, and you didn't know what I say, I used to work in a fucking coal mine, you know? Yeah. This is like Barbados. Yeah, this is pretty nice. So I just kept doing all that. So, so you, were, you were happy? Happy as Larry. Yeah. And it's amazing to kind of do all the different jobs and every job is nothing's like working down a coal mine. I bet, I bet. Aye. So how long were you in Australia for? Uh, 15 months. Okay, so you did a lot in 15 months Aye. then, yeah. Aye. Yeah, and then what happened when you decided to come back? No, so I went through, I went all through Indonesia for about six weeks. Mm-hmm. Then I went into 
Malaysia for a couple of months. Then I went into Thailand for six months. Right, so you just did the travelling, do whatever you wanted to do. Aye. And always tried to kind of be off the, you know, try, not just follow the usual. Yeah. So and I ended up track. doing things like I, I met a guy in a, in a national park and he said, like, we've got an outward bound school that we get people for leadership stuff. Do you want to come to that? Mm-hmm. You know, you're Scottish, nobody's ever met a Scottish person before. You can go and it's free. You can come for a month in a, in a national park. Nice. So, and we'll get fed and... Everything. Oh, Amazing. Aha, uh-huh, but nobody understood. <laughs> yeah, you can't talk to anybody. <laughs> so, it's like I was on volume, you know. And then I went into Thailand. I was in Thailand for six months. I spent a couple of months in two Buddhist monasteries. So that was dead wow, interesting. that's amazing. Yeah, that was really good. And then... What did you do there? Um, nothing. Just like you, you at just, one with yourself kind no, of you, thing. That was the idea. You tried yeah. to used to, you tried to used to not speak. Aha. Uh-huh. You never, you, you know, you went... And you're you fine if nobody understands you. you well. can t- <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. So you didn't speak all day, you got a wee hut in the forest. Yeah. You ate once a day and you just had to learn to, you didn't have any luxury, you just had to learn to kind of cope and deal with yourself. Yeah. So I was in two different ones doing that, went to Koh Samui for a retreat when you had to get a boat. There's like 20 people in the, uh, the retreat and hardly anybody, hardly any foreigners... Mm-hmm. And I went to the next island called Copangan, and it was even so. There's nothing like all the parties and nothing else like that. There's nothing like that. I've actually never been, but my friends have. They've Aye. like travelled around Thailand and stuff, yeah. and it's like just party all the time. Central, like it's very tourist. So yeah, you kind of got that really authentic got that. experience. Yeah, yeah. And I went away up to the hill tribes, and I stayed up with these hill tribe people when everyone was paying loads of money to get dragged around like we tourists, and I. Stayed on Christmas Day with all these people thinking, I'm, I'll get away from Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it was probably the only hill tribe that were Catholics. Wow. So this priest turned up and he did prayers in their local dialect. He was uh-huh. a French guy. And yeah. So there was loads of daft things. And, and That's fascinating. I know. And then I had a job in Bangkok uh-huh. where uh, I met a woman on the retreat. She was a kind of pal and she used to um, translate English to Thai. So I went to Bangkok. She got us a job where... We used to trans. We used to write down scripts of movies mm-hmm. or TV dramas. Write them all down a big script. Give it to her. She'd translate. Up the top floor, there was dubbing studio, and ten people did it all. So they would. I'd write the script to this Dutch guy. She'd translate. They'd dub it, and then it'd be on the on the flea markets now. Oh my god! The next day. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, know, I did two of them a week, and then. And one, did it pay well? Oh, it paid really well. The first, the first one, the first day you paid that covered all the. The accommodation and uh-huh. like that, and then the second day covered all the other crazy bits that you do when you're in Thailand. Yeah, <laughs> and I used to add these things to the script. I used to put lots of Scottish things in the script. So they were made up script, like you made up the scripts, no, or just, they were based on movies yeah, that we, yeah we would, we would transcribe everything they were saying. Uh huh. Right. Okay. Got so you. We'd stop it and then we write it all right. down and then just stick lots of daffy things in. So know? what kind of Scottish words were you putting in there? <laughs> Bro, bro, everyone was bro. Yeah. Or they bother, or eh, no, or <laughs> uh, just I. Yeah. Say, yeah <laughs> they would have been like, what the fuck? Well, I know, so you get all these, and, and they just kept dropping loads of stuff in. That's amazing. That was mental. And I stayed above a wee hairdressing salon. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, that was good. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun. Aye, it was great. And so you did that for how long? Like travelled around and uh, so Thailand was six months, so it would have been about oh, a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half, and, and then I came home. I imagine it was like quite cheap to live in. Aye, 
get about and stuff like that. Aye. It's a bit different now. And I, I didn't mind where I stayed. I didn't have to stay in posh B&Bs no. or like that. No, yeah. I just stay stayed wherever. Because I, I, I never kind of felt that, you know, I mean... I mean, I went around with that, I'd shaved my head and I wore lots of daft clothes when I was around in that as well. People tended not to come near me. Right. So it was fine. I okay. didn't have to worry about folk trying to kind of rip me off or anything else like that. Right. Because it just wasn't happening. And I was, I wasn't causing any drama. I'd stand up, I'd see what I wanted to see. And it was so, it was cool. Yeah. And I got to see it, insight into how the country was all working, not just through, not just through hotels and tourist places. I went to loads of places and places away in the back and beyond. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. That does sound amazing. I'm actually, I'm quite jealous. <laughs> I'm quite, I'm quite jealous. I mean, I did a bit of traveling when I was like 19, but uh, nothing of that sort. It's fascinating. You're just telling me your life story. So what happened after that? <laughs> so I came home, came back, and then I came up, my sister lived in Edinburgh, so I came uh-huh. up to live with my sister. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, still and felt really wee. So I came up to live with my sister, and then after about, I got a bit of money, and I thought, I always wanted to go to India. So I went away to India for six months. Right. And just bummed around in India. Yeah. And, uh, so have you got any stories from India? I'm sure you do, but um, is there anything you can say? <laughs> I'll try to get to Dharamsala from Himachal Pradesh. I went way up into the foot house of Himalayas. It was all quite mental. Go away adventure. Tried to get across, which was probably one of the daftest things I've ever done. Halfway across this other guy, we actually realised that we never had the right clothing and we were stuck. We didn't forward to kind of go back. And then this group came along with loads of goats. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was so to continue on the journey and there's a couple of amazing photos on the wall. Mm-hmm. I had to hold on to a goat while we went along the edge of this like really fucking sheer drops. Mm-hmm. And you just went completely unprepared. Com- honestly. <laughs> I couldn't have been any more unprepared. And how how long were you there for? Himalayas. Uh, that that trip took about seven days. Right. Sleeping in caves. Wow, yeah. Yeah, we're not freezing. Mental. Do you not have, you've nah. not have, like, protective clothing or nah. anything? <laughs> no. Nah. Scarf. Wow. Were you like, this is great or this is terrible? It's uh, like, this is great and this is really scary. Uh-huh. It must have been scary. I the way down those big, I'd be dead. Yeah. But at the same time, it was really, really quite exciting. Yeah. Like, the guy to warm you up, you'd squeeze fresh, warm milk out a goat's udder, udder uh-huh. and then hand it to you in a cup. But you could not do it because it was a way to kind of warm up. Yeah. What, and you used the the heat from that to keep yourself to warm? To get, get my hands warm and then drink it to kind of get some, yeah, nutrients. Wow. That is that is crazy. Aye. <laughs> done some crazy things. Aye. That was, uh, <gasps> and it was all sorts of daffy things happened on that trip as well. It was just, no, it was amazing. Yeah. So, traveling, would you advise people to take some time out to go traveling? Like, instead of, say, jumping straight into uni or work, like, do you think traveling's a really great thing to do for yeah. your own self? Because I do. I just want ah, to. No, I like... think it is really. Unless you go to other kind of cultures and other societies and people that speak a completely different language, you, you're kind of like, you're just bogged down in any space and you're yeah. in a bubble. Yeah, yeah. So your 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 limit of experience is limited. The people you're with and the environment you live in, uh-huh. and the world is it's so different. In India, they've got ten different states, and each state is like a different country. Right. So traveling from the top to the bottom is complete. Everyone's different. The food, the people, the color of their skin, the clothes they wear, the environment, mm-hmm. the animals, the the weather, everything. 
And, yeah. you, and if you don't get a chance to, and I know it's really hard for people to do that now. It is. I mean, it's yeah, really, it's just talking really, really hard. objectively. But yeah. as much as you can, I, I if think, you can, if you can, I go think for it. And then, like Casey's just been away in Australia, and then when I got his ticket for him, I said, "I'll get your ticket, but on the way home, you need to you need to go into Asia, mm-hmm. and you need to experience like Bali, and he was in Southeast Asia." That's when amazing. You come home, yeah, everything home will just not seem the same, and then you you'll be a wee bit more what you what you are prepared to accept as the norm. Yeah, because it's no longer. Yeah, well, it broadens norm. your perspective completely. Yeah. I think that's really important. I know it's something that I want to do more traveling, but expensive. It's so exp- and it's so hard. It's, you know? it's just it's just even and- traveling in Europe is just such a, a difficult. It's unfair. It, it, it does feel unfair for people. And we were kind of really lucky because Casey got a couple of good jobs with people that I knew. Like yeah, the and the Spiegel tent, and then he got a job Great. at the festival. Uh huh. And, and I, I think things like that. So if you're going to travel anywhere, like network. Yeah. Loads. And even if you don't know the person, but someone else knows the person, you, it's, you shouldn't hesitate to reach out to them. Yeah, because then say like 10 years later, you might be going back there and then you can hit them up or they're going to come here. or exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, I know you must know so many people from... Is there anyone you met when you were travelling that you used to keep in touch with? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, 25 years later. That's amazing. WhatsApp is one of the best well, yeah. things ever. Yeah. You, you can chat for free. And Literally. you can be there all, all day, all night. So, yeah, there's still pals that, like, 25, 30 years. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, you came back to Edinburgh. Well, I came back from, when I came back from India. India, yeah. And I went to, um, I didn't know why I just come straight back to Scotland. So I went to see my brother who worked in Spain in a town called Calella. Oh, yeah, you've mentioned this to me before, but it so, sounds brilliant. So, so I went to, <laughs> to Calella. Actually, I, I, I cycled from... Um, Paris, I got some train ships, but I cycled all the way down to Calella from France. How far Days. is that journey? Days. Days. Okay. Right, nice. Days. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and also, see, you know, you know, just like daft wee things, going to sleep. I didn't have a huge amount of money. Got to sleep in a beach, trapping myself between all the, and tying my scarf to the bike. And yeah. then sleeping between the deck chairs so nobody can steal the bike. And then it pissed the rain and the deck chairs all got really heavy. And I couldn't get out from between the deck chairs. <laughs> Stuck on the beach. Just all sorts of daft stuff. Yeah. And then I got the job in this bar in Spain called the Rabbi Burns Wine Bar. Right, so this is a Scottish bar in Spain. It's a Scottish branded bar run by a scouser. Right. That's branded the Rabbi Burns Wine Bar. And to get a job, in, so my brother knew the guy. I got uh-huh. the job. Uh-huh. And I was there for a couple of months, but things kind of got, so I hadn't really drank much. Mm-hmm. Right, every every day's New Year's Eve in that pub, so everyone's drinking all the time. We got free drink, we got free baby. Yeah. As much, and they also got other free things you could get from other people that's working as a wee network. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, and I had to wear this big kilt, that was my, my thing, that was, I had to wear a kilt. And the boss would That was like uniform? Yeah, the guy would right. check under your kilt to make sure you never had any pants on <laughs> right because after after a bit you realize that you know you're walking around and everyone thinks it's okay just to stick their hand up your kiln i remember you saying that that's shocking aye. yeah really aye. yeah uh-huh so that caused like imagine i was like no, no you wouldn't have been happy I'm with that. that so there was all sorts of palavers with that and if people kept it up i used to go to the bar get chocolate milk get a brandy put it in i got it for free and i just throw it in them <laughs> how old were you i was 
26. Right, okay. 27. Yeah. So, and then of course, you know, you throw in you know, someone and then they've got their good clothes all covered in chocolate. Mm-hmm. Milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a fight in the park. It's <laughs> a bit mental and like da-di-da. And, uh, yeah, and so I, I went a little bit mental with all that. And in the end, um, <laughs> so in the end, <laughs> my boss was a really horrible guy, right? Okay. And there's an obnoxious wee shite. Anyway, so one time we were there, and, and I thought it would be quite funny. So they had Guinness for the first time. So I went and got Guinness, went back to the bar, and because uh, we got free drinking like that, I went back to finish off. And I thought, it's something gripped me in a way. I thought, I'm going to fart on his leg, that'll be funny. <laughs> so I threw my shorts down and farted his leg, and a big splat came out and went on his leg. <laughs> so the whole pub just went, and me too. I was, I was honestly, I can still laughing. Anyway, that went, uh, that went a bit mental. Yeah. And then that was my cue to go. That was it. <laughs> It's time to leave. Time to leave, I. You've went a wee bit too far, Peter. You should, <laughs> you should go home. Uh huh. So you packed up your stuff and so, yeah, quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, stays left. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good thing. But, uh, it was like a small town, though, right? Wasn't uh, it? Uh, but they're just rowdy. It's and, and we we were quite famous for being really rowdy. Yeah. We were encouraged. We were it's quite hard to, keep, to be rowdy. Yeah, it's hard to keep that up as well for yourself. You know, you're just you're just drinking, drinking too much all the time, not sleeping enough, no. just the usual. And we lived above the the, the bar, so you had the music right. above the bar, constant. And when you weren't working, you were on the beach, and everyone that you were working, we were on the beach. By the time you had the end of your days off, you know, you didn't know if you needed a shite or a haircut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happened after Spain? <laughs> I'm just enjoying this like breakdown of your of so, your uh, I came home. life story, uh, and then. Um, I was home for a wee bit and I tried building sites but working in building sites with these fucking numpties I couldn't bear it you know so I ended up in a got to a community centre nearby where my sister lived on Fountain Bridge and they were going to do this play mm-hmm. and I thought oh, I've never the only play I'd seen before that was in the Miners Welfare Club right in Tullabuddy mm-hmm. so I went down and because I was I was a co-visor and the guy said to me you know what you're doing lights right so, right okay so it's like doing all that, doing the lights. It's a big community play, like tons of people. And as it got closer and closer to it, it's quite stressful when you're no used to doing anything like lighting or operating it. Yeah, uh-huh. I can imagine. You remember the spotlight. So there was four of us, then two of us, and on the day of the show, uh, I was the one that was left to do it. And, you know, I, I, I didn't mind it because I didn't mind, I didn't mind like tackling stuff that I didn't know okay. very well because when you're travelling all the time, you've either got to do that or you're a bit gubbed. Yeah. So we did the show, and then the guy there who had the workshop said that the Netherbow Theatre on the High Street wants a stage manager. Mm-hmm. I should go. And I'm saying, I'm like, this is the second show I've seen in my life. Did so, you? So you felt like you weren't really at yeah. that? <laughs> You're like, I don't think I can do that? Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. So he said, go and see the guy. So I went to see the guy. We spoke for a wee bit. He said, look, why don't you kind of come? Mm-hmm. We were dark, which meant there wasn't any shows. And uh, and he said, like, you know, you can do three weeks. I'll get away to basic money. Find out what you can. So I was in there trying to figure out the lighting desk. I didn't know if it worked right or no. I was doing audio. I never knew if it worked or no. I was trying to figure out the lights. But I was quite, I really liked it. I liked the challenge. I thought it was like being backed in the pit again. Yeah. So I really liked it. And then I, I just went for it. How long do you think it took you to get to grips with it? Months. Months, yeah. And 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 uh, it opened. We opened back up again after about 
like three or four weeks. So the whole time everyone's all arriving, yeah. I was still having to get, get, get to grips with it. Yeah. And the hardest thing to get to grips with was all the type things like what stays left, what stays right, yeah. what stays down, stays getting a script in front of you, try to figure out all your cues and uh-huh. everything like that. So I was having to learn all that as well as like deal with these people that's all kind of coming in and coming out, amateur, professional, you know, amdram, you know, hysterical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... You made it work, obviously. Made it, I, I did. I, can, I mean, honestly, and then we had a, a lunchtime show and the guy, they didn't have money to kind of like do up anybody doing the lights and I spoke to the guy that ran it. He said, you'll need to do the lights. I said to the guys, I, I didn't do like, I had no idea about lights. I've never, you know, I can put lights up when people want, but I've never designed it myself or anything. Yeah, yeah. And and then I kind of, because I was doing it in such a way that it wasn't conventional. Uh-huh. It wasn't, you know, like there's the stage you've got to see everybody. If it was in a wee cottage and it was laugh like that, I lit it like it'd be like in a wee cottage. Right. Or if it's a trippy show, I'd light, I'd light it like a trippy show. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I ended up being really, I ended up being really fucking good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got, I've got loads of clips on the wall. It's, you know, the wee clips with my name is in the paper. Yeah. I did Sinks Friends First and it led to loads of other like stuff and ended up, I ended up being really good at it and I really liked it and I got to meet loads of folk and every day was a challenge and the money was going to happen but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that kind of really suited me. Yeah and that was like your introduction into well, that like yeah events yeah. and that kind of world. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did you do your lighting for? So I was a stage manager in there for about three years. Mm-hmm. What was your like favourite production you did? Do you have one? My favourite company I worked for was a company called Oxygen House and we used to do lunchtime theatre and we did loads of different light shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then we did one that won the, and it was during the festival, it won the Independent Award mm-hmm. for new theatre on the Fringe. Wow, so that was, brilliant. Yeah, that was amazing for all of us. Oh, the Fringe must have been fun back then. I mean, it's still quite fun now, but it would have been different. Well, I, yeah, I, I, was, I was doing six. I was doing six shows a day, operating six shows a day, and in the middle of that, uh, and by that kind of time, I'd, I'd met like the girls, Rose and Hannah's mum, um, Anne, and I'd met Anne, and we were together, staying together, mm-hmm. and then Anne got pregnant, and Rosie was born during the fringe. Oh wow! Oh God! Perfect timing. Then, <laughs> so between there was one bit a break in the day, and I was running up and down to the it was the Elsie Engels that had bought me the high street, so. Mm-hmm. Like Rosie was born during the French. Wow. <laughs> and then when I was there, I met a guy who did other stuff outside the theatre. He goes, you want to come and do that with us? He goes, well, I've not really done much of that. He goes, no, you'll be fine. And I went, okay. And then I, I, I went through that. And do you think it's because you were kind of, you were put in these positions, but you were allowed to have time to figure it out? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think there's a core thing that you kind of get when you're doing events, right? There's a core battle, but you just got to figure out logistics. You've got to figure out how you kind of manage people. And you've got to kind of figure out about... Mm. About dealing with people's emotions, because they're all kind of a bit theatrical and stuff like that. Right. Maybe not so much the third one, but certainly the kind of first two. Yeah. And you've got also got to think about you've got to be really quite wide and make sure nobody's trying to, like, get you off. And I, I'm, I was, I ended up being really good at that, so I'd get put in an You're natural. Oh, <laughs> aye, aye, being a wide on myself. I was that, that was the bit. So you end up... So we, I, I worked with a company called the Grass Market Project, mm-hmm. right? And it was all homeless people and drug addicts and alcoholics and all that. And he said, do you want to come and do that? And I went, right, okay. And he said, well, we need somebody to do the set. And I went, I'll do the set. 
because I never really had any money to run, I just used buildings, so I just went away, and it was a hostel with all the beds, so I just went away off, come back with all these windows that were in a skip across the road, outside one of the hotels getting done, and we rigged all the, the we rigged all the windows, there was like a row of six, three of them, and mm -hmm. I, I lit it in such a way, it was like the day, the change of the day, mm -hmm. depending on what the height of the lights, and then we did that, and then, and then we did other plays, and I ended up doing a bit of the set and doing all the lighting with them and like loads of different ways and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then I, I met a guy who wanted to do outdoor events he said you want to come do an outdoor event down at Stockton I was going that's quite a big thing he goes yeah you'll be fine <laughs> you'll went, be fine and I went down and I walk onto a site and there's four big top circus tents and it was it was relentless all the stuff that kept happening but I just thought well fuck it I'm here now anyway you're just rolling with so it so we just have to kind of deal with it yeah and and so what it meant was that it meant actually that I'm really good at troubleshooting yeah I think um you've been able to work in lots of different departments I guess you could say elements of production and lighting and staging and yeah. all that so you, yeah. you you know the ins and outs of it you can then yeah it would be great for like problem solving and yeah. figuring out yeah, yeah like I think it's um you you know the the craft inside and out ah, you, you just have say. to adjust the suit and then this yeah. guy got me to do and then I ended up doing two like New Year's Eve in Newcastle and New Year's Eve in Leeds right yeah and that that must have been huge huge, huge yeah Absolutely so what kind of crowd does that bring just like the same crowd in Edinburgh. So like, yeah. The street festival. And then you've kind of got different things all dotted around, stages and stuff like that. Only it's Baltic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's really Baltic. And then and in the back of that, I ended up doing uh, BBC, BBC things in, in Leeds. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sound of songs of praise and different things like that. Uh -huh. And I ended up doing the famous grouse house. I used to do a lot of fringe stuff and I ended up set, setting up. Because I just thought, you know, we just something would come up. And I just, if I could, I would just like go for it. Go for it, yeah. We were in the the patter house, but oh. it was the grouse house. Yeah. And when we went to go see sister's uh, boyfriend do a stand up in the fringe. And yeah, when we were in there, you were like, oh, I used to run this place. Yeah. And um, which is amazing. It's like it, it. It must be quite surreal for you going into these places now and being like, "God, I remember Aye. what it used to be like in here." Aye. Yeah. Because I used to work for university, and part of my job with the with the university a lot was they used to rent out all the venues. So my job was to make sure all the venues operated properly and safely. Right. And uh -huh. So you know, McCune Hall, George Square Theatre, George Square Gardens. Right. You know, and all the kind of places where the underbelly are now. Mm -hmm. So I would be responsible for looking after them and making sure that all these things, all these venues went really kind of well. And then it kind of stopped a wee bit. And then I can't remember the order. Then I, this part of mine said, why don't we do a Scottish venue? Because all the fringe venues have come from people from down south who mm -hmm. take over the venue. And they'll just it's just a bit about you pay your money, you get your space. We don't really care what your space is. Mm -hmm. You just want your money. So we decided yeah. that we would do a venue that was mostly about Scottish yeah. Shows and right, Scottish okay. people and Scottish music and Scottish dance. So that's where the Grouse House and came from. Great, and we got Grouse as a sponsor, so we worked with Brilliant. Dance Space. So all the stuff oh, that nice. the Dance Space yeah. all came and performed with us. We we had the best programming folk music on the fringe. That's amazing. It was really good. And we had three spaces, and then we had this big outdoor space across the road in Old College Quad. Mm -hmm. And we used to have the most spectacular outdoor shows. Really amazing outdoor shows, mm -hmm. and then that ran. We did that for a month, ran it for a couple of years, 
And then Grace started to pull out because they spent too much money on something else. They wanted to cut our sponsorship, whereas we were getting bigger and they wanted to give us less. Right, right. So we just said no. You'd had to stop it there? I, well, I, I left and some of the guys stayed and went somewhere else, but I just right. kind of left. So you kind of had to... It could, it had quite a lot of potential, but Most, it just wasn't... Nah, didn't work out that way. No, nah. and that was probably a really crazy job as well. So because, because they were going to diss us, uh-huh. I approached a different sponsor mm-hmm. and got lots of Guinness, mm-hmm. which I'm fond of. Yeah. <laughs> so therefore, we just had, you know, we rebranded it all and I've never drank so much Guinness in my life. <laughs> so what, did you rename the, oh, we the venue? Had, we just had the famous Grouse House, but right. inside it, we had loads of Guinness oh, branding Guinness. and all yeah, sorts yeah, of yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And then we just had, you know, and I was running the bar as well. So I, I, I was doing all the production and I'd been the venue manager at night and I was also responsible for the bar. Wow, yeah. So you just ended up having so much Guinness it was mental. <laughs> really. And things were a bit different back then. I imagine you were like drinking on the job, like having a party with everybody else kind of No, situation. not so much. We would just we would just like stay late. Right, okay. Aye. And have your own parties. Kind of. Yeah. Aye. Lock-ins and that. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then yeah. And that, I mean that was great. That was a that was a really really because it was it was the kind of I mean, and me and the guy programmed everything. We chose everything and programmed everything, and it was really great to have. It was really great to have a kind of base where Scott people come across. Yeah. And we if we we would subsidise the companies that didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. and the companies that did have more money then would be a split. But if there's companies we, we really liked, then they would subsidise them so they could get a chance to be on the fringe. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all kind of went. And it worked. Because we made a lot of money off the bar. Mm-hmm. And we used all that to support the kids, to support the venue. So I, my timelines could be completely off, but was that when you met Steve? Because yeah, Steve, yeah. did he did all the fringe... Um, building the tents and things um, but I don't know when that started I don't so, know when he started doing that so I, I met I met Steve when he was working so some days I met Steve when he was working down at the, the ice rink oh right okay so I went down to work in the ice rink yeah and I met Steve there and then we kind of got pals and all that and then after that uh, when the Spiegel tent was needing somebody to kind of like do joinery work mm-hmm. I got uh, right. Steve kind of went had to do that joinery connection. work and then yeah. we got connection through the university where they wanted any branding and stuff put up mm. then Steve would kind of come along because he was well placed for that and yeah. also it meant that as a retailer we always used to make sure that we had work between us yeah that's great and then it went on and on Steve kind of came to science festival when I was there yeah. and we all went to Abu Dhabi mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and then when I was doing all the exhibitions Steve was working with me at the exhibitions and all that and other guys that I knew that you kind of trust they would kind of go and we'd go and do the exhibitions and we went all around Europe and all sorts of places yeah so we yeah. all travelled in all sorts of places doing exhibitions and all that yeah for context Steve is my mum's partner and then so did you know my mum before you met Steve ah yeah I met your mum when I was at so the that's just more. so you just happened to meet Steve as well there was like no correlation no. at the time yeah there wouldn't no. have been that's quite interesting Aye. so yeah you met my when did you meet my mum well um, what age were you uh, I would be about uh, 28, 29. Okay, so you... your mum was there working with your dad. Yes, At the yeah. motherboard doing stuff, and that's where I met your mum. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So that's like 30 odd years ago. Yeah, brilliant. And did you did you get on, ah, like, straight away kind of thing? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you never stopped. I know, I know. Um, which I love. I think that's great. 
Uh, okay, so I'm going to go back to a couple questions. Go on. Okay, so you were doing your stuff in the theatre. Right. When did the uh, big event stuff start? I know you touched upon it with the New Year things, but when yeah. did that start to really kick off? Uh, I'd be about 34, 35. And that's what you wanted to get into? You wanted, to, And was that when you had a team? Did you have your own team? Or were you just going around doing so these jobs? So it would depend on the job. So some of the jobs, like the big exhibitions, the... I mean, these are exhibitions that you've got thousands of square metres of space to kind of work in. So you, you usually have a contractor, they'd be the main contractor. Uh-huh. So I'd look after all the different contractors. And then okay. some of the core stuff, I'd kind of bring a couple of people in. Like Steve came in a few times to kind of help me stuff because you say, OK, you're going to delegate with you, you're going to bash away with that bit. Mm-hmm. And a couple of other people, but mostly it was like big teams. And you'd have a wee team to, for supporting me, well, they're all going to go off and do stuff. But, I mean, yeah, it was like... It was, Thousands of square metres of space. It was mega. Yeah, really big. I mean, from what I've heard Steve talk about with the science festivals and all that, like yeah. it just sounds Huge. epic. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. When I was doing the science festival, we had venues all across the city. We'd have about 30 venues right across wow. the city. Yeah. And That's then when we did, the, when, the, when I went to Abu Dhabi, then we did, we, we, you know, we took the science festival to Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we had other we can we take about twenty odd containers for Scotland, but I'd container I used to do the logistics as well as all the production for it. Uh-huh. So I'd have containers coming from Australia, uh, America, Canada, yeah. uh, Singapore. You'd have kind of different companies coming from all over the kind of place. So they they were probably that was probably one of the one of the most challenging gigs was doing this the science yeah. festival in Abu Dhabi. I can imagine. Um and also what, like the heat? <laughs> Having to well, work I in did, the heat yeah, as well. Heat, yeah. That sounds awful. Like I, I could I'd yeah. be terrible at that. Like how do you cope with stuff like that? Well you're you I mean you're especially because a few of them were outdoors. Yeah. So you it was so it was it was it was hard and, and when you're in the tension there's no air going on and it was hard. Mm-hmm. You know, but you just, well, what do you do? You just have to bash away with it. You have to make sure everybody's got enough water. Yeah. Make sure even the local crew have got plenty of water. Oh, did you have any anyone, like, passing out and stuff like that? Like, was it... Um, Sometimes I. Yeah, because it must be, like, the manual labour of it, like, for a lot of these people. In well, the we would, I think the thing about it is that we, we had a kind of policy that uh, anybody that was working with us should work under the same conditions and environment, whether they're part of the Science Festival itself or whether they're... I mean, external suppliers, of course, but all the local crew and everything else like that. Yeah, yeah. And any local contractors, we did everything we could to make sure that they got the same access to all the kind of stuff that we were getting access to. Yeah. And that was a big thing for us. Yeah, that's great. Aye. And it caused a bit of conflict with the people who were aware of it. But it was like, well, if we're not doing this, we're not doing anything. Exactly. So, and that was kind of really good. And I learned to speak basic Urdu. And oh, wow. So, it was, and it was really quite, it was quite a great thing to do when you've yeah. got tons of folk and you can give, like, basic instruction for. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. And we, we built up such a connection with the local, the science festival built such a connection with all the local crew mm-hmm. and the local suppliers as well as all the people that kind of came. Because it was a yearly thing. Yeah. And how, how many years have you done it for? Because are you still... I, I can try to remember the last time Steve did it. Cause he did. He, he no, wasn't he doing it that it. long ago. Aye. Yeah. So I but did, you you did, I, I did four. Okay. Right. 
Right. Maybe five at the most, but uh, yeah, I did four of maybe I think four or five. Because it's uh, it's like five weeks away or something like that. Ah, it's that quite right? a long time. Man. Yeah, yeah. How did the COP twenty six stuff come around? Uh, the COP twenty six came around by I used to work for an agency down in London, mm-hmm. and I used to do a lot of the exhibitions and stuff for them. Mm-hmm. And I went all around the place with them doing that stands and also like the big stuff. And then the guy he was going to be the one of the key people at COP. Mm-hmm. So because I was up here in Scotland and the agency were based down in London, mm-hmm. so they said, look, do you want to kind of come and kind of work on COP26? And there's an east side and a west side, and you're going to look after all the electrics on the, on the east side and then, you know, like support things like any... And anything else that needs to get done, you're going to support that. So that's a huge job. Aye, and then we things kept kind of like popping up, like we had to put all these tents everywhere out front. And then there was a million lampposts and bus shelters and bollards and like daddy that. Yeah. And that was a wee moving feast. Every time you've done it, the cheap, you know, that kind of changed a little bit. And then there was a big crane that was there that belonged to somebody else. So Pierre wanted to deal with this guy in this crane. Mm-hmm. So, and it was just, you know, you just have to apply yourself. Yeah. It's a different thing, but you apply yourself. And, and it went really, really, really well. Yeah, it was a huge like success, ah, wasn't ah, it? It yeah. was amazing. I have six months on that. Out of the big events, do you have a favourite or a top? One that sticks uh, out in your head? No, no, I don't know. There's like, I mean, I, I guess COP26, what sticks out about that were the team that we had with a kind of small team. Uh-huh. And you couldn't have wished for a like, better team of people who were so multitasked who, and everybody... I mean, everybody's like really supporting each other, but when you've got a really weak team and you're in an environment that's pretty stressful. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with people like the UN and everything like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, I, and I had to deal with the UN every day. It's the security tents. Wow, yeah. That was kind of part of my wee bit looking after. So the team that I had then was really good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that kind of stands out. Um, no, like, it's hard to kind of pick which one because they're all like so different. They've all got yeah. different ways, to be honest. You yeah, know? sure. It's more about the individuals that you can end up working with that stand out a lot more than the event itself. Because mm-hmm. when I finished that, that one, I went right on to doing like the Commonwealth Games and we were doing this, you know, the open and closing ceremony site. So that was a completely different thing altogether, like yeah. to doing that. And that was really kind of full on. And then for that, I ended up going to Saudi to do this thing to do with new this big arts thing, then that went a little bit to pot. And then I went to Qatar to do the World Cup. I ended up doing car showrooms. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, all, they're all like really kind of, and, and one of them always led to the other one. You yeah, know? And, do, and do you think that's just like saying yes to what comes your way, having an open mind, like getting to making these connections, I think it's just all an, like a... Amalgamation of all those things. Aye, it's the kind of same stuff you've got to do. You've got to be good at logistics, you've got to be good at negotiating, you've got to be really kind of good with people. Yeah. You've got to be confident to go, eh, no. (laughs) So you've got to be like that, and you've got to kind of always kind of find a way to get, you know, whatever way to kind of get what really what you need without like pissing people off, really. Mm -hmm. You know, so. I mean, when I when I stopped doing all the outdoor events and I went into the exhibitions, that that was because that's corporate stuff. That was a completely different environment altogether. Yeah. So there's a different way that you've got to deal with everyone in the in there. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to try and present it at the end exactly how you would want it as a client, and you've got to make sure everyone else is going to make it exactly as you want it as the clients wanted it and paid for it. Mm-hmm. And that in itself brings loads of cha- challenges and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. But in the end, because the first people that I ever kind of worked with doing that, they said to me, you know what, Peter. 
first thing you do is if you're here for the client, you just need to say to them, how can I help you? Yeah. And you just need to position yourself that you're the client wanting that stuff and that's what your role is just to get them exactly what they should be getting mm-hmm. and what they paid for. Mm-hmm. So that was a different thing from doing outdoor and theatre stuff like that. So that whole environment and that took me all around Europe and I ended up being doing a couple of things in Africa. Wow. <laughs> so you're down there trying to kind of like get that same core and get stuff done in different places. It's a lot harder, but I think it's a bit about, you need to be quite tenacious. Yeah, yeah, and you must have to be very adaptable uh-huh, completely. to your situation. Completely. But like you said as well earlier, you, you obviously like a challenge as well. Uh-huh. So it's part of your like nature, it would seem, that uh-huh. you can just dive into these kind of big jobs. and. Uh, I'm not intimidated by them. I'm not yeah. daft enough to kind of take on things that I can't do. Mm. Because I like the stuff I'm, I'm working with people that know, you know, they know about it and they're specialists. Yeah. And then that's their kind of bit. But overall, but you're working with the specialist to create what the end result is. Yeah. And it's just quite important to recognise. I think it's quite important to kind of recognise your own limits. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the kind of, some of the things that you get that you see a lot of it, folk have managed to kind of get to bits that's maybe a wee bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it all goes a little bit to pot, whereas like me, if I didn't know about it, I'd rather ask someone than try and do it and then do it wrong. I didn't see the value yeah. in that. And there's something exciting about when you go into a hall that's like, say, 100 metres by 60, mm-hmm. and you've got all this like, stuff kind of coming in. There's something really, I mean, really exciting about it. Yeah. Oh, you floor. must get a total like yeah. adrenaline rush from the yeah. events, like when they actually happen as well. Yeah. It must be like, do you feel like proud about it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's like praise that comes of it. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I take a lot of Saxon for it. And also, I also, I make sure that absolutely every, anything that could be done to make sure it works does get done. Yeah. I don't, I'm not like haphazard. Or yeah, you're not half arson it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's kind of really, to the extent some things I do people's head in. <laughs> you know, I do. I'm going to go, no, that's not good enough. And it's not what we ask for. And it's not what it's ordered. And you'll need to get a fucking grip. Do you, do you feel like you're a bit of a perfectionist then? Or yeah, I think you have to be a bit of a perfect. Nah, I mean, I'm not anal, mm. but but you have to be a bit of a perfectionist because the people have paid a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, like I've talked about a lot of money, so they're there. To yeah, this is big money. Product, so it's mm-hmm. kind of big money. So you can't be. I think it's important to kind of be detail oriented. Yeah, detail to make it kind of work. You know, I think one of the things when you're going to all these different places and you know, and they are all different cultures and different environments, and you try to kind of get around stuff, and especially when you're Scottish, you know, mm-hmm. and you're kind of speaking a wee bit mad or like tight. <laughs> so there's a wee kind of phrase that I kind of got from someone, and it's and it's um, it's, it's like tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. Yes. That's so, a great, that's a great bit of a, advice, actually. That's a really good thing for when you're doing events, especially when you're meeting loads of people. You have mm-hmm. to kind of find a way, especially because they've got different ways of the way that you express yourself, even the way that you shake hands. Yeah, The yeah. way that you kind of sit around the table, even at the way that you, you know, when you've kind of got a group of people, you know, who's the person you should be really talking to, not talking to, showing the right... Um, respect to kind of people because yeah. that's quite important in places like the Middle East and yeah. stuff that you do all that so that's always a wee phrase I've got in the back of my head mm-hmm. you know to try and find a way of being as tactful as I can um, without actually pissing them off I mean you, you, can, you, you can never manage all the time <laughs> you can't keep you know, everybody happy no, you can't, you know? <laughs> but I think it's, it's a good way to actually kind of go into that and if you go yeah. through that process I kind of find it generally works really well for me yeah especially travelling and like you said, meeting people from different cultures. You have to be mm. respectful. Aye. Like, yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, what was it you said that you picked up a bit of? Urdu. Urdu. Yeah. Was there any other language that you picked up a little bit of that you, just from spending time there? Uh, I tried to speak a little bit of Thai, but Thai is really tonal. I realised that some of the things I was saying uh-huh. were not the kind of things I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't the right things to no, say. No, so I gave up on that. I, Fair. I, I used to try and speak a bit of Pigeon French. Pigeon French? Yeah. What's that? Oh, just a bit like, uh, um, <laughs> how are you going to say it? Uh, you know, I want, I would like, je voudrais, uh, I'd like the ladder, I'd like the, the graphics done better, je voudrais... This should be doing that. Right. Uh-huh. Just, I would like, and then just the basic word for it. I mean, uh-huh. it was like really pigeon. It was like baby pigeon. But at least you <laughs> I've not try. heard that before. Like pigeon, yeah. pigeon French. <laughs> uh, this was baby pigeon French. <laughs> and, uh, and you just kind of so I try it as much as I could. I think if I go anywhere, I always try and, and learn like two or three things. Like, yeah, the basics. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Like thank you and may I and, and basic things like that. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get much further than that, I kind of think if you can actually at least say those things and make a point of saying them, mm-hmm. I think that kind of counts for a lot. Yeah, so definitely. I always kind of try and do that. And I always try and encourage anybody that I'm working with to also actually show a little bit about actually being quite respectful. Even like when somebody gives you something, just, you know, like... You might not think you have to say thank you all the time, but here people do that, so we should kind of follow that. Yeah, and you you're in their country, you're yeah. visiting them, so it's like it's it's like when people go to go on holiday and they just expect that everyone can speak English. Exactly. And that it's it's like that kind of like ignorance that's, um, I would find frustrating, Aye. especially if you're travelling around a lot. Aye, and also it helps kind of. I mean, they it, then you kind of get away to kind of chat a little bit more. You yeah, know, about things that's not necessarily at work, you know, have you got a family, have you got kids, you know, how long have you worked here? Yeah. And things like that. So you're, you know, you know, you're endearing yourself to them. And therefore, if there's a bit of a drama, then you're going to get on all right. Mm-hmm. And then you do things like on the exhibition world, especially, there's so much waste and things get chucked. Mm-hmm. Like millions of stuff that kind of gets chucked. I bet, actually, yeah. So I've never thought about that. So there's flowers everywhere. Then you make, you give all the cleaners all the flowers or there's oh, ornaments nice. and vases yeah. and things that people leave then you, 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 the event team, you would just leave it with them. If there's, you know, like drinks and stuff left at the end of the event, you know, in the cabinets, you make sure Caitlin didn't take it away, you take it out and you give it to the crew and you give it to the security and you mm-hmm. give it to the people like that. Mm-hmm. And you, instead of everyone kind of coming in and going away, I, I kind of think it's quite important to show a bit of respect for the people that... that in the end of it, you are dead important. Like cleaners are invaluable. Absolutely, to yeah. as is care and people that are invaluable and security. Yeah, everybody is important. Everybody yeah, is like important. it's an and integral if you get to know them, part of it. Yeah, and you get to know them really well. It just makes the whole thing go so much easier. Yeah, I think that's like a lovely way to be as well. Instead of this kind of like, like I know there will be like a hierarchy as far as management and stuff like that, Aye. but just to kind of everybody's treated the same and like fairly. Aye. Like I think that's so important. Aye. Yeah. So, like, looking forward, uh, you've had a bit of a break. You obviously aye. you said you was it your shoulder and your collar collarbone, your collarbone, and so is your plan just to kind of sit back and chill a little bit more in general, or do you want to get back into the grind? So what I want to do is, so I I, I really liked when I was doing the the opening and closing ceremony for the Commonwealth Games. I really liked that. Yeah, and you get quite a lot of them in different places. So what I'd like to kind of do is, I mean, I'm 64 now. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, um, you know, and the house is all kind of like cleared and done. Yep. 
Yeah. The girls are all kind of good. Casey's at uni. He's kind of good. Growing up, yeah. I just think that this this period of time really allowed me to spend a lot more time at home than I've ever done mm-hmm. in a long time. I mean, well, I've got a grandson, so I was going down to see it them, mm-hmm. you know, and just be the, you know, that was the house. Be the granddad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cooking and cleaning, sitting yeah. up with him, talking to Hannah early in the morning, doing all that. They've just been up for a week and stayed here. I've saw Rosie so many times this year, I've never anybody that a chance to do. I've <laughs> see all my pals a lot more than I would ever be able to kind of do. Mm-hmm. Next Wednesday, I'm due to go out to Qatar and do a open uh, the open ceremony for the Amateur World Cup Championships. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of trophy bit, so I'm going to be out there for about four odd months. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to go and do something like that, get a big wedge and then kind of come back. And then be able to spend the other like seven months or eight months of the year. Mm-hmm. Maybe well, if I if I'm sick, if I'm in Scotland and I'm in Edinburgh for at least six months of the year, that would be great. And if I need to kind of go off and do what maybe in Europe backwards and forwards, but if I can go away and do a big gig mm-hmm. and get a big wedge and come back, mm-hmm. that would be amazing for me. That sounds great. That's amazing, and, yeah. and it's all a result of me falling over at my gate uh-huh. on a step that's an inch high. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. and it's completely like, it's completely, and there's a few other things, my personal life has kind of really changed, and it's well for the better. It's amazing, and, and it takes something like me to fall over at a feckin' gate. Yeah, to, <laughs> to, to get that, yeah, that, yeah. You know, now we can sit in this room and I can look at it. And I know, it's beautiful. And everything's done, so yeah. it's... You can feel that, like, accomplishment yeah, itself. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Really amazing. No, that's lovely. I'm really lucky. Yeah, so last question for you is... Do you have any advice for anybody that would maybe want to follow in your footsteps career-wise, wants to get into events, wants to get into even, like, theatre? Or is is it just putting yourself out there? I think it's maybe... I, I think if you want to kind of do it, mm-hmm. it's quite hard to get into, but I don't think that means that you shouldn't really try. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's not really for everybody anyway. Mm-hmm. because you get, it's long hours, it's kind of hard work and all sorts of stuff. But I guess it's a bit like people who want to be an actor and they go to college and then they realise at the end of it the last thing they want to do is act. But it was what they wanted to do, so they tried it. So yeah. I think if you want to get in the events business, sometimes you end up having to kind of do stuff that's maybe not as glamorous as you'd think. Right. Crowd barrier and the piss and rain and the mud. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily... You have to start kind of at the bottom kind of thing. You can try and get in where you can. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's, like you said, just moving, moving barriers. Yeah. Even if it's just like actually kind of doing local crew mm-hmm. and then working a local crew and then getting more experience in local crew and then you end up in bigger jobs and you end up finding more things to do mm-hmm. and then you can go off and do touring. I think the main thing is really that if, you, if you've got your heart set on something, you need to find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't work out, you're all right. Because I think you can't even decide. It's very difficult to decide what you want to do in life. I think it's more difficult to decide what you didn't want to do. Right. And it's only by doing jobs and realising that, actually, I didn't want to do that, that narrows it down to what you might actually find what you want to do in the end. Yeah, so yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a kind of bit, if you quite fancy it, give it a shot. You didn't have any losing, you're fucking a long time dead. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, really, you know, so if you can, and if you know somebody else that's doing it and they can help you, then you should ask. Mm-hmm. But just give it your best shot, eh? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that's great advice. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, this final section is uh, your talking shite. So it's a bit of a true or false game where we debunk some stereotypes 
that are surrounding the type of work that you do. Right. So, um, first one, uh, working in events, you don't need formal education or training. Um, 50-50. If you're going to be like a specialist, if you're going to specialise in lighting and sound, mm -hmm. then you'll need some sort of formal training. Yeah. Okay. It's probably better because it's so high tech now. Yeah, okay. you, you, yeah. You're going to get an understanding of how all these kind of things work. And if you're doing rigging or you're doing anything up in the air, mm. you need to have licences. So there's a lot of kind of stuff that you need to do that training to kind of go forward. So you can't, you can't get the licences until you have the training, basically. Exactly. Right, okay. Got you. That makes sense. Um... You have to work unsociable hours. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> Is that quite... Like, were you... You were quite happy with that. I didn't mind that. You didn't mind it. No. I mean, sometimes I'm on site 14 hours. So, you you know, you get there at 7 in the morning and you'll leave at night, 9, 10 o'clock at night if you're on site doing stuff. That's just the way it is, really. Yeah, you just and if you did, to be you dedicated know, you just to that. You need to be able to kind of get your head around that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the best thing you could do is make sure you've got the best footwear and make sure you eat... Right, even things like just have a bag of bananas. Yeah. I mean, oh, I take tubs of hummus everywhere I go. Do you? Yeah. And are we like starting and, to scoop it up? I, I eat hummus with everything. Yeah. And I get the piss ripped out of me. Because Why? Because just because I'm always eating hummus. But, <laughs> but it's good eating. for you. Yeah. So um, you can earn good money. You can. Yeah. And uh, it deserves to be paid well. So completely. that's great that it yeah. does. Because obviously you do get a lot of... Um, within different industries that you have to learn the skills but they don't necessarily pay you very well for right. it right but i feel like it's not really like that in events no it can be sometimes when you're kind of starting out but the, sure. be the better you are at your job mm -hmm. the better paid you're going to be yep. so the more skill that you can get i mean i think the main thing that, that reflects the money is that if you get really good at your job you'll get loads of work if you've got loads of work you're going to make good money if you're not very good at it you're not going to make much money mm -hmm. so to get the money that you want and you need, get good at your job and you've got more opportunities. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and the last one, would you say that in the entertainment and events industry, it's about who you know more than like anything else? So it used to be like that when, when there was like millions of work. When uh -huh. there was like so much kind of work on the go. Yeah. Like before COVID or a couple of other kind of things when there was like meltdowns about finances. Right. And there was tons of work. Then it, it would be a little bit about who you know and kind of how you can, and then by that way you'd kind of get on the gig and you'd keep it. Mm -hmm. And what it is that helps you kind of a reasonable bit is who you know that can maybe give you the opportunity, but there's no guarantee that you're going to actually kind of keep your mm -hmm. job right now you really need to be kind of really good at it yeah but unless you're actually good at it a lot of times now you're nobody because it's just it's too difficult now and there's just no enough work that's only going to go so you need to kind of really know that what you're actually kind of doing and that's that's good though it. i'm glad that because i do think that there is a lot of these entertainment industry things that is about who you know and like you're only going to get in, in a certain room if you know certain people so uh -huh. it's good that it's not based on that because you want it to be based on actual skill and whether the person's good at their job or not. Exactly. So I think that's really good to hear. That is. That is really. And it's quite important as well that, you know, like when you've kind of got jobs, I mean, I used to work in the open golf all the time and it could be quite a big job and like tons and tons to do. Mm -hmm. And loads of different people came from different backgrounds and people would know that they got that job because they maybe knew the person there because that's how they got work too. Yeah. But every person that was on that job earned their space. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean, yeah. 
and you wouldn't know, only do that. I kind of you had to kind of do it all of them, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing is what makes a difference. You know, you might someone might get an opportunity, but unless they're really good at it, they don't often get a chance to stay very long. And if you end up with a, a shit reputation, it gets around really fast. So that's the kind of thing about it. Okay. But you need to, it's no like that anymore. It used to be, but it's, it's kind of changed quite a bit now. No, well, I'm quite glad to hear yeah. that, actually. Yeah. Okay, great. My well, final question is if you've got any advice that you'd want to give to somebody that wants to enter into the industry that you're in. I think the thing is like that if you get if you get an opportunity to work and it's an environment that you've never worked in, uh-huh. but it's to do with like events, then you have to you have to take it rather regardless. I I I was doing a play in a nightclub in Edinburgh and it was a really quite dodgy nightclub and we were doing a show in there and mm-hmm. then the guy in there said to me, "How's your fancy coming to be the manager of the club?" Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean that's probably one of the daftest kind of like things. How's your fancy managing a nightclub? A nightclub that's really, no, it's a bit mental. Right? <laughs> I think you might think you could cope with it. And I uh-huh. was like, actually, why not? Yeah. It's a kind of similar thing. It's entertainment. It's thousands of people. It's logistics. It's kind of getting on with folk. It's like standing up and it's like creating a kind of program. Mm-hmm. But you're just in an environment that's really alien. And it's probably the only one you're ever going to work in again. Mm-hmm. And and it was really quite an alien environment. But then... But then and that way, I found a thing that I've never done before in that I used to kind of program clubs. Right. So I started programming clubs. And I went on the programming clubs and it led me to do raves. Right. Yes. I remember you telling so me about I this. I like doing raves. So, and, then, you know, so, and this was what, in the 90s, right? Yeah, in the 90s. And which is peak rave. Completely. Like, yeah, yeah, that would have been like the... Thousands. Yeah. So I ended up like doing raves and we ended up some in the, you know, with the best gay club in Scotland. Yeah. You know, so I, I, there's an opportunity. It's not what you expect, but I took it and I, and, and I did it for a few years and it went really, really well. So if you get a chance, even though you, you, you know, you think, well, I don't know or whatever, you didn't have any lose. If you mm-hmm. didn't like it, you can leave. But I think if I hadn't taken on that job, there's a various other things that would never have happened to me. Yeah, yeah. One of them being that I met Casey's mum. And then now, yeah, there's there Casey. Yeah. So, then he turn your nose up, or then he kind of think, actually, I don't know what to do. You then have anything to lose, you can always walk away. I think that's, like, fantastic advice. Brilliant. <laughs> what was <laughs> the was gay like, club you're uh, referring joy. to? Joy. Joy. Okay. And that was something that came from... A monthly club. A monthly club. Because I used to be up, uh, um, connected with the Blue Moon Cafe in Broughton Street. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. So I knew everyone in the cafe and there was yeah. two people that worked in there as well. And they were connected with the cafe and they were doing like tunes. So um, Alan used to kind of do really like hard techno rave stuff and mm-hmm. Maggie on the other floor we'd do loads of house music and we'd get people Amazing. coming from all over the country to kind of go and we, yeah. we had all sorts of different clubs at the club called Sativa that used to kind of do the the, the big thing that was up on Carlton Hill uh-huh. uh, I had like loads of different clubs we tried loads Brilliant. of things <laughs> you know some worked really well and like some didn't but it, and you know and it was it was a, it was quite a, a crazy club and at the start mm-hmm. it was quite dangerous actually well you said it was pretty rough ah, did you rough. did you kind of turn that around a little bit or was it did it always remain quite rough it was just no me and the guy agreed that a lot of the, the people that were coming to the club couldn't come to the club anymore okay so we had to change the club yeah and then and then it took me months to get to convince people to come to the club Okay, yeah. Because when yeah. you said where it was, they're going nuts. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And also because people realised that I'd 
insisted about out certain groups, didn't he get in? Mm-hmm. There was quite a lot of time where I never went out in Edinburgh certain nights of the week. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't the first time I got chased up Lodi and run. <laughs> It was like somebody to fucking train spot. <laughs> I can imagine. So it was quite, <laughs> quite mental, but yeah. you know, but it's a different thing. It was like a challenge and it worked out really well and mm-hmm. it led me to other stuff. So if it kind of comes up and you're not very sure, you didn't have any news. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, fantastic advice and a brilliant way to, to end the podcast. So thank yeah. you. Thank Thanks, you, Steve. It's been great. And um, thank you for having me in your house. And, um, that's that's all bye bye <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the don't panic podcast if you enjoyed it please don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so that you never miss an episode also be sure to check out the description for quick links to connect with our amazing guests show them some love give them a follow and explore their work once again thank you so much your support means the world and until next week don't panic we'll see you again